you don't know me, that's because uh, I, you've never been here, because I say the exact same thing every week. <laughs> I, I, I was up at man camp, and, uh, and literally other, I say man camp, that's what we used to call it, the men's retreat, and um, they introduced me the way I introduced me, and it got really embarrassing. And so somebody else was like, hi, this is Jason. If you don't know him, he's one of the pastors around here. And so um, I, I need to get out of that habit. But uh, if you are new, um, I'm the youth pastor. And so today, um, I, I'm going to kind of lean into the, the part of, of what I do that is, that is about the, the youth group. It's about our kids. Um, but I don't want you to check out if you're not a parent who's in here. I promise there is stuff that we're going to talk about today, stuff that I've been learning this week and that I hope that God communicates to you today that I promise is good for all of us, okay? Um, but I'm going to start with this question. How many of you guys grew up in church? You're, you're, yeah, okay. Um, did you have friends in the youth group? Like, I, I, when I was a kid in, in church, I loved the youth group. Like, big church, yeah, was all right, right? But youth group was why I was there. And I loved it. In fact, um, I went to a, a big youth group. And, and the, I felt like there was this pretty good balance of, like, teaching and worship. Um, it was pretty engaging. They were asking us to kind of get into it with our emotions, but also with our, our mind. Um, I, it had a lot of good things going for it. In fact, I remember... Um, our, my youth pastor took a particular uh, like interest in some of us, and and sometimes that's really what a kid needs, right? Is that like that specific interest? I had everything going for me, and, and so did several of my peers. We were um, we were part of the what I would call a core group of the youth group. Like there's there's the kids who come every week, and then there are kids who like serve. They're like really involved. It's almost like a small group part of youth group. And I was on the worship team at this youth group, and so I was part of this core group. And so the youth pastor actually had us on like a separate night. We did a Bible study for just the youth group. And yet, out of the probably six or eight kids that were in that, I can only think of three that are still going to church. Think back to your youth group. Think back to when you were growing up in church and you had all these friends. Where, where are they now? Are the people that you grew up going to church with, are, are they still going to church? Right, Because that was the core group for me, three out of eight. For the larger group, I started thinking about it, and I'm not sure I know very many more than those three that are still going to church today. And yet we had what I would call a good youth group. Right? In fact, we had this one guy in our, in our group. I'm going to call him Philip, and the reason is his name wasn't Philip. But I went to church here in town, and so just in case you're online, Philip, um, glad to see you, dude. Um, <laughs> see, the thing is with, with my friend, he, I, I, he was like super engaged. He was just as involved as I was, and, and he, was a great, he had a great friend group. He had good people around him. His parents were Christians. It wasn't one of those kids, and... and I'm a youth pastor. I absolutely love when kids come that aren't part of our church, that don't have Christian parents. I love the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. But this guy, he had, he had Christian parents in the church. He had everything going for him. And after high school, he left home. And I don't think he ever saw the inside of a church again to this day. I don't think that he would even consider himself a Christian now. And statistically... Between 70 and 80% of this generation of church kids are going to leave the church. 
Some are going to come back at some point. But between 70 and 80%, when they graduate high school, they move out of your house, are going to walk away from the church. And in, in youth ministry, like we're trying to create environments where they experience Jesus. We're trying to do all of these things. But what happens? What happens to kids that have everything going for them? And they still walk away. Are we okay with that? Like as a church, as families in the church, as grandparents, maybe you're in here and you don't have kids, but you look around and you like the fact that we have kids, right? The problem is we see these things and they are statistics. So let me ask you a very specific question. Which group are your kids going to be in? Which group are your grandkids going to be in? Are they going to be in that 70 or 80% that leave? Or in the 20 or 30% that stay? That's what I want to talk about today, is what might we be missing? Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a father, I've got three boys, I'm a youth pastor, I've got 80 kids that I deal with, and I've been doing it for years and years, and I have watched kids come and go. I'm afraid that just doing church right or being in a Christian family might not be enough. And so that's what I want to talk about today. But again, I promise this isn't just for parents in the room. As we go, you're going to see why. I need to put a disclaimer out there, though. We're going to talk about a principle today and not a promise. Sometimes we come across these things in Scripture, right? Like best practice, the best way to go about something, you are most likely to get an outcome because of this principle. And yet some of us will have lived this principle and it didn't work out. And I promise you that there is redemption in that story. I promise you that there can be good things that God can do with that. But let's talk about the principle. Let's talk about what might happen most often, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to, to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to talk about what I hope is a familiar passage. It should be familiar because it gets repeated in the New Testament, and you're going to recognize it, and because we talk about this here quite a bit. In Deuteronomy 6, there is this um, call for families to disciple. I want to look at that a little bit closer maybe than we have before. And so what you need to understand is that Moses is speaking here. Moses, the guy who parted the Red Sea, the guy who saw the burning bush, right? He's the one who led the nation of Israel out of captivity. And so basically right at the beginning of the Jewish faith, there's this guy Moses. And he has been tasked with communicating God's heart to a nation that didn't know him a generation earlier. God's doing these amazing miracles, these wonderful things. And for 40 years, they're wandering around in the desert, and God is showing up in these miraculous ways, like, like manna from heaven, like there's quail every morning when they wake up. God's making water come out of rocks in the desert. He's a pillar of fire leading them on their way through this path, and eventually... They get to the Jordan River, and Moses is about to die, and he's going to pass on the legacy that he has begun, this relationship with God, to these people. And as they enter the land of Israel, 
He writes this book of Deuteronomy. It's the second law. It's basically you, like the law was in Exodus, and then we have a generation later, like 40 years later, and he's like, okay, kids, everybody here. 40 years ago, we learned some stuff, and I want to make sure you get it before you go in. And this is how Deuteronomy 6 starts. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. What I'm about to say, you guys, is the sum or is the, the, the full amount of info that you need to make this work. He's going to rattle off a bunch of stuff, curses and promises. He's going to rattle off a bunch of rules. But he's saying here, you guys, this is the beginning. You're getting in on the ground floor of something incredible. God is doing something with this people that he's never done on earth before. This isn't just some religion. This is a relationship with your creator. So pay attention. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of the Jewish faith. If we look back at this moment as they are this generation, they're right at the beginning. This is what it looks like to be God's people. Verse 2, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. And so right from the beginning, it was God's design that faith doesn't stay with you. Right from the beginning, it was God's design for, for faith. Now, it has changed over the years, right? It started out as this Jewish faith, and then the Jewish Messiah came, and the Gentiles, most of us, get to be included, right? But from the very beginning, to be part of God's people meant that this faith is meant to be passed down. Right from the beginning that you and your children and your grandchildren would inherit this faith that brings life. Um, I met a pastor yesterday, actually, um, long after I had finished preparing my, my message, and then he told me this story that I, I can't help but sharing. He had an, the oldest guy in his church came up to him a couple weeks ago and apologized. And he said, what, what do you have to apologize for? He said, I need to apologize for my generation. See, we believed that our faith was, was personal, and at some point that meant to us that it wasn't our job to protect the schools, it wasn't our job to protect the government, that we were just supposed to keep that as this personal thing. This guy got it, but just a little bit too late, that like, it was his job to like, protect and pass this on, Right? God has always expected us to pass on our faith. That's one reason why this isn't just about parenting. Because you might be here and you're like, I don't have kids yet. Some of you teenagers, gosh, I hope that's true. If it's not true, I love you anyways, <laughs> right? Um, and maybe there's some of you here that have always wanted kids and you don't have any, or your kids are already out of the house. And, and I, don't, I don't want you to check out of a talk about parenting because there is somebody around you that you're supposed to be passing your faith on to. It's supposed to be like a wildfire, and you're the bush that's on fire, and you're responsible to catch the next bush on fire. And for parents, it's pretty obvious who that is. But I guarantee you, if you think about your life, there is somebody that you need to pass your faith on to. We have a, a value around here. 
that we've titled, Who's Next? We think it's so important that it is part of how we describe ourselves. There always needs to be somebody next. Now let's skip down to verse 4. We're, we're just going to skip verse 3, not because it's not important, but because I want to get to 4 that much faster, okay? This is the, the famous part. This is the part that we're all probably familiar with. This is how we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to pass it on. How? Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today or to be on your hearts. This is how Moses starts to answer the question, how do we do this? How do, how do we pass on this faith? You notice that this says over and over, you, your, your, you. This generational faith, this thing that is supposed to define our families and our culture, starts with you, right? It, it starts with it being my faith on your hearts. Did you catch that? Like, I, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts, not in your head, right? Not habits that you do, Christian, not the decorations in your house. You guys know that live, laugh, love is not in the Bible, right? Like, okay. <laughs> I know it's written like it's in the Bible. All the posters look like the Bible. No. Okay. Um, but your decorations, right? The, the, the rules that you have in your house, like we're not, we don't cuss. We are Christians. You, you know, you get on your kid and you're like, you will not cuss. I overheard a parent last night that was lamenting when their three-year-old cussed, right? And we're like, oh, that's that moment when you go, I should probably stop, right? Like, like I'm passing something on, and that's not what I wanted them to say, right? But you guys, it's, it's not what you do. That's what's so important about this passage. It's not about the, your church attendance. It's not about making your kids do something. It starts not with what you do, but with who you are. It's not a question of what you do. It's a question of who you are. And see, I think so many people treat their faith like it's an add-on. My, my friend John said it's kind of like um, when you go to Disneyland and you're already there and then you realize how much better it would be to have the fast pass and so you go spend that extra money for that add-on so that you can skip the lines and you have a better experience at Disneyland. As if we are living this life and man, it would just be that much better if I was a Christian right? Like, I'll just, I'll add that to my life. I am Jason, and I'm a Christian. So many people just treat it like some other thing that they do. I go to, I go to rock club on Tuesdays. I go to Bible study on, on Fridays. Uh, I go to the bar on Friday night, right? And then I go back to church on Sunday to fix the problem I have in my head with the bar, like, it's just this additional part of our life. And, and what this is saying is it needs to be part of who you are. You're not going to pass something on if it's not part of who you are. And see, that, that's why it's, it's not just for our sake, right? So check out this next few verses. Verse 7, impress them, the, the laws and the, the decrees, the things I've told you to do, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. 
Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, this is the, the next generation part of this, right? And it looks a lot like a list of things to do. And it kind of is, right? Like when you're, when you're going somewhere, make sure to, to talk about your faith. And when you're at home, you should probably bring it up then too. And, but it's actually a, a look at who you are. This should be so a part of who you are that your family can't escape. Does that make sense? Like they can't go with you to Walmart when you're on the road, right? They can't go into their living room and escape the fact that you have a vibrant faith, that you're a Christian, right? There shouldn't be anywhere that they can find you where it's not true. And so when you're at Walmart, that's a great time to talk about Jesus. And when you're in your living room, that's a great time. So it looks like a list, but it's really more about who you are. And check out verse 8 and 9. It says, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. You realize that in the Jewish culture, they, like the most pious people literally did this. Like take a scroll, tie it like a headband, or they dangle it off of a turban. Like they would like physically do this. I think they missed the point, point entirely. Like that would be like the modern day version of a tattoo. And I don't think that God is saying, you know what you should do? You should pick your favorite Bible verse and just put it right there. Right? <laughs> I don't think that's what the point here is. I think the point is this. What are your hands for? Your hands are doing things, right? And so when your kids watch you doing things in life, they shouldn't be able to escape the fact that you're a Christian. Your relationship with God should be so obvious that when your hands touch something, it's as if Jesus was involved. And when they look you in the face, you realize you can't see the tattoo on your own forehead. When they look you in the face, when they see who you really are, they can't help but see it. Man, my mom, she loves Jesus. Like, she won't shut up about it, but she loves Jesus, right? Like, that's what this is talking about. And you know, actually, as funny as that is, my, my kids think that my wife, their mom, bugs them about Jesus, right? Like she's always preaching to them. And I've got teenage boys, right? And so filter that a little bit, right, <laughs> through the teenage boy filter. But they think, they think oh gosh, mom, another? An I was just trying to talk to you about this video game. I was just trying to talk to you about this YouTube channel I saw. Why does it have to be about Jesus? And it and it's as if they hate that, right? And then for her birthday this last week, all of us boys wrote notes of the things that we appreciate about our mom or my wife, and we, we put them all up over the house so that when she got up, she'd, she'd see these things. And you should see the things my boys wrote, right? Like, I'm so glad that you love Jesus, and so now you've taught me to love God. Like the, the point of what she's trying to get accomplished, even though they're pushing back at every turn, right? Sorry, I'm, I am a cry baby. <laughs> if you have tissues, dude, you should get them because it's not over. All right. Um, <laughs> side note, though, you guys. Here's a side note. This is, this is probably not part of the, the passage necessarily, but this is a great picture of discipleship. And, and it's obviously a good picture of discipling your family, but it doesn't have to end with your family. Discipleship happens in their context, whoever they is for you. 
They are going with me to Walmart. That's their context. They are lying down in my house and I'm in charge of bedtime. That's their context, right? Discipleship is the interaction of their life and your faith. Hoping that it's going to become their faith. That's how discipleship works. We, we take what we know is true, what we are experiencing in our relationship with Jesus, and we make it make sense in somebody else's life. If we're going to pass our faith on to others, not just our kids, then we have to be willing to show them how it actually impacts their life. So that's, that's the point here in, in Deuteronomy 6. How are you actually doing on that, though? How are you actually doing with not just a faith that is built around the things that you do, but it's who you are? Is that what your friends and family, your kids, your grandkids, your grandparents, is that what they see when they look at you? How are you actually doing with this? Are you treating it like an add-on, or is it part of who you are? And listen, some of you guys might just need to stop the message here. Like, this is the, this is the part that, like, you need to, to focus on. And that's okay. Because this is a, a very real problem. I think that in our church and in the, the church, the Big C Church, I think it is all too common for people to walk like a Christian, talk like a Christian. Maybe you prayed a prayer years ago, and so you think this is the way that you live it out. But in reality, it's all about what you're doing and not about who you are. So if there's somebody here tonight that just needed to hear that and you don't get anything else out of this, good for you. Sometimes we need those kind of reminders, right? But there's a problem. If you, even if you're doing this right, there's a problem. See, I've, I have seen parents do this really well, right? Like they live a genuine walk with Jesus out in front of their kids. And yet the kids still walk away from the faith. I've seen that over and over. See, a, a, a lot of parents stop here. A lot of parents feel like it's, it's my job to like be a good Christian and then make sure that the environment that my kids grow up in is as Christian as possible. And then I don't know what else I could do after that. And yet statistically... Seven out of ten are going to grow up and and walk away. A lot of parents stop right here, but there's another key to this, a vitally important part of passing on the faith. And I'm afraid that we're going to do all of this and we're going to feel like, man, that was hard, because that is hard. Like, let's be honest, it's hard to live out Deuteronomy 6 really well. And I think some of us are going to get there and we're going to be like... Good job. And then our kids leave anyways. And that terrifies me. That should terrify you. And so I want to look at the the second half of this. What is this other key that might be missing if we stopped right there? We're going to switch into the New Testament. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you start flipping over there. Um, Ephesians written by a guy named Paul. Um, he had, he's not nearly as wordy as Moses. So trust me, it's going to be a lot more condensed, okay? Um, in Ephesians 6, it starts like this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
I got some kids in here. Obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. right? Actually, um, I, I took Isaiah with me to my professor's office one time whenever I was at Bible college, and, and Isaiah was showing off uh, this passage. He had memorized this. It was cool. I'm sure he memorized that because Christian parents, if you don't use this verse, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. All right, like this is super, super valuable, right? Okay, so we had taught this to Isaiah, and so the professor said, okay, yeah, tell me your verse. And he said, he said, um, uh, he said, children, he's little, children, obey your parents. And the professor also had it memorized. And he was like, for, or, or, or obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Like, the, the professor was like, this is a big enough deal in my life that I know the exact words that you are missing, right? Because this part's fun. If you're a parent and you're like, I love these verses. I love the ones where it says, hey, kids, get it right, right? In the next verse, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. You ever said, I brought you into this world, I could take you out of this world? The Bible said it too. <laughs> this is your proof text if you ever need to be like, well, Paul said it. All right. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I just want to focus on that one verse for a second. I'm just going to put that one verse up on the screen. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This, this one statement here, bring them up. In the training and the instruction of the Lord, that is basically the New Testament version of Deuteronomy 6. It's our responsibility as parents to pass our faith on to our kids. Do what you can do to make them Christians. Now, they are their own person, and God is sovereign. And how we braid that rope between a parent's responsibility, the kid's responsibility, and God's responsibility, I don't even want to try to answer today. But I can tell you this. It says right here, you should be trying. Right? Make your, make your kids Christians if it's possible, right? That means it is important for you to have a Christian lifestyle, right? The decorations do matter. The habits that you live do matter. The rules in your house matter. Living out your faith in front of them. Deuteronomy 6, that's, that's what this is saying. But did you catch that word instead? Did you see that right there in the middle of that verse? It's as if the beginning of the verse is at odds with the end of the verse. And at the end of the verse, it says, you should train your kids. You should instruct them in the Lord. You should do what you can to make them Christian, if at all possible, but that's going to be fighting against the first thing. It's possible to ruin the faith of your children or your friends or your spouse or your mentee. And it doesn't say, well, don't be lazy. Instead, train them and instruct them in the Lord. It doesn't say, don't... don't Forget about your faith. Like, remember to go to church. Instead, train them. It doesn't say don't cuss. Make sure your rules are figured out. Instead, train them. It says, don't exasperate 
your children. That word, it literally means frustrate or irritate. What Paul is saying here is it is entirely possible to ruin the faith of the very people that you're trying to pass your faith on to based on how you treat them. Based on how you treat them. Like, it's that easy to screw this whole thing up. Like, how hard is it to to live the Christian life right in the first place, let alone do it around the people that you're closest to? To incorporate it into every conversation that you possibly can. All of the, the hard things about Deuteronomy 6, and yet this is saying it is that easy to screw this up. Why? Why is it, like, all I have to do is, like, screw up how I treat them, and, and then it messes everything else I've done up? This is where I want to show you something that I learned a while back that I think is so, so valuable. And so I'm going to invite my, my son, Noah, to come up on stage. Yeah, Noah, good job, yeah. First time on stage, now you're going to be a pastor, okay? We just say that over your life, okay. Um, in Jesus' name, yeah. Everybody here saw it. All right. Um, so here's the thing, you guys. Um, everybody has a pipe attached to their heart. Would you hold that, like, right there? Yeah. Okay. So everybody has a, a pipe attached right into their heart, right into who they are. And it's like a vacuum, just constantly, like, <laughs> sucking things in there. I did not say you suck. Okay? Um, <laughs> Just want to, like, later I'm not in trouble for that. Okay. Um, it's like a vacuum, though. It's constantly pulling in, like, opinions and, and ideas and worldviews, especially with young people. There is a direct connection to a young person's heart that is constantly absorbing things, right? You guys know that's true if you know any young people. And it doesn't end at childhood, right? As an adult, it's still true that we have this, this direct line into our hearts. And it makes up who we are, right? The things that get sucked into us, the things that get pulled into us make up who we are. And remember, Deuteronomy 6, the whole point here is that who I am matters. Who he's going to be matters. And there's a lot of things flowing into that pipe. And so as parents or mentors, or grandparents. What we do is we try to control what goes in the pipe, right? Like, that's a big deal to us. And so for some of us, back up just a little bit, no. For some of us, we're like a goalie, right? We're like standing in front of the pipe, and we're like, oh, evolution, I see that coming. It's not getting in my kid's pipe, right? And then we, th- we think we're okay for a minute, and you're like, whoa, no, you can't date her. She's a problem, right? I don't want that getting in the pipe. And your friends are bad. And we're like kung fu fighting off things that are trying to get in our kid's pipe, right? We're like trying so hard as a goalie to defend what's going in that pipe. And then sometimes we're trying to shove things in there, right? Like read your Bible today, right? Shove that in there, right? Um, Like I don't care how your hair looks, you're going to church, right? You're going to go to youth group. They're not that weird, 
It's not true, but we say those things, right? And we throw, we're trying to throw things in there. And then face that way for me for a second, Noah. And then every once in a while, we want to like sneak stuff in, right? It's like it's family movie night, and you're like, Passion of the Christ. I <laughs> didn't see that one coming, did you, right? And then they're out on their first date, and you're like, text message. This is that Bible verse about purity. <laughs> Hope you saw it, <laughs> right? Thank you, Noah. You can, you can go sit down. All right, so you guys, it's our job to manage the things that are going into our kid's pipe. Right? If, if you are in a discipleship relationship and you are the mentor, you're trying to figure out what to go in the pipe. Like, can I, can I change bad habits? Can I add good habits? That's what we do, right? That's our job, is to, to manage what's going into their hearts. Because we know that's going to turn into who they are. See, you guys remember, Deuteronomy 6 was at the, the beginning of Israel's faith. Right? Right at the beginning, God said, it's about who you are, and I need you to pass that on so that the next generation, it's about who they are, and then your grandkids, it's about who they are. And they got really, really good at managing what was going into the pipe. Think about it. They have laws like you would not believe, right? In fact, there's, there's the 615 actual laws in the Old Testament, which was like the, the Ten Commandments times all the problems that they had. And then they made more laws around that, like a fence that were like, these are like just to protect you from even getting close to those laws. And they had all these rules, right? They did so many things, and they tried so hard to manage what went in the pipe. But did it work? It didn't work. If you know anything about Israel's history, what they didn't do was create a bunch of people who... It's who they were, were God-loving people. They created a nation of people who did religious things. They were really good at the rituals. They had their festivals dialed in. They knew exactly when to have bring the sacrifice. But it wasn't who they were. It wasn't in their heart. And so by the end of the Old Testament, God is realizing, I'm sure he saw it coming, right? But in real time, God is realizing this isn't working. We're going to need to do something different. And that's where, like, the Old Testament ends, the, the system of faith ends. And with the New Testament comes Jesus, a new system of relating to God. And here's something I think is super interesting. As God realizes that what they're doing is not working, the very last thing that he says in Malachi chapter 4 is the very last thing that God says in the whole Old Testament era. And for 400 years after that, he was going to be silent. God wasn't going to speak while he was essentially hitting the reset button on what it meant to be God's people. And the very first thing that he says in the New Testament isn't in Bethlehem. It's to this man named Zechariah about his son John, an angel comes. And I want to read those two passages to you because I think it is so profound. As God is going to reset the way faith works. Malachi 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents. 
or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The very last thing that God says in the Old Testament is, when we start over, when we do this again, I'm going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And I'm going to turn the hearts of the children to their parents. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, there's an angel speaking on God's behalf. And he will go on before the Lord, talking about John, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Prepared for the Lord. God says, when I reset this, this time, we were missing something last time. And you know what we're going to do this time? Before we even get started, I'm going to make sure that the hearts of the parents and the hearts of the children are facing one another, are connected to one another. See, I think God knows something that we need to understand. You need a heart connection with your child to pass on your faith. We could do everything right in our faith, but without a heart connection, there's no way for it to pass from who I am into them. Does that make sense? It might happen. It might happen because of your posters. Might not. It might happen because you took them to church. It might not. They might pick it up, but not because you passed it down. We have to have a, a conduit to pass what's in my heart, who I am, down to my child so that who they are gets it. Does that make sense? Right? And, and this is true for all relationships. This is true if you want to disciple somebody. This is true in your marriage. This is true in, in every relationship that we've got, that if, if you want to make an impact in somebody else's life, if you want what you have to end up in them, there's got to be a way for it to get there. My faith probably won't be passed on without a personal heart connection. My faith probably won't be passed on without a personal heart connection. And so we have a problem, right? Because it doesn't just stay open. Like if Noah was still up here, it's not like teenagers are wandering around and they're like, oh, that looks neat. <laughs> Get that in there. Oh, a little bit of that. <laughs> right? Oops, I accidentally got a bug. Right? It's not like they're, it's not like they're just wandering around like this. What will happen is for that child or that person in your life that is not connected to you, they will connect to something. They will connect to someone because this is God's design. And so they're wandering around with this vacuum and then eventually they'll find somebody and boom, there's a heart connection. And you're over here somewhere wondering how come my faith isn't making an impact in my child's life? And so how does it get broken? How, how, how do we ruin that, right? How, how does it get unplugged from us? Because as a parent, it happens to me. It's probably happened to a lot of you. And maybe uh, you're looking back at your childhood and you're like, oh yeah, 
I totally understand what you're talking about here. Because at some point, you, you should have been connected to a parent, and then hmm, you weren't. And that explains maybe some of the, the life choices and the direction that you went. How does it get broken? Okay, so if this was just a parenting talk, I'd spend the rest of the time talking about with, with kids... I think one of the largest drivers is the way that we discipline. I think what often happens, because um, we're dealing with something that they did, and so we forget about this connection that we have, and a lot of times, parents, while they could be really good most of the time at connecting with their kids, the moment that there is a challenge, the moment that they have done something wrong, especially if it hurt you, we get angry and we react. Reactionary discipline has a tendency to say things emotionally that disconnect the pipe. And God doesn't even do that, right? You look all throughout the Old Testament and, and God describes himself as a father. In Hosea 11, he says, my son Israel, whom I led by the hand out of Egypt. You know what he did for his son? He set up rules that had clear expectations, and those clear expectations, when they weren't met, that was how the discipline was doled out. But never once was it like, disconnect here. It, and that's a, a parenting technique that I think a lot of people don't pay much attention to because clearly they've done something wrong, so they deserve to be yelled at. That's kids. What about everybody else? Kids and adults. Emotional distance is one of the quickest and easiest ways to disconnect. Because remember, this is sucking into our hearts, into the way we feel, into the way we experience the world. And so for those of us parents that are distracted, grandparents, if you're not interested in the things that your kids are interested in, if you're never on a personal eye contact kind of level with kids or the people in your life, it's an easy way for, for that to be disconnected. And you know what will happen? The way that you disconnect will be the way that they go find a connection. Oh, my dad's never interested in me. He doesn't care about me. Oh, this person gives me all kinds of attention. And your mom's in the background like, that's not the attention you want. And you're like, yeah, but it's attention. Right? Time. I'm too busy. It's not worth it for me to stop doing this thing and go, I'm being productive right now. I'll get to you in a little while, buddy. And we never get around to it. Thump. Well, I'll find somebody who's got time for me. Or unresolved conflict. How many of you guys have broken relationships because something went wrong, there was some hurt, some offense, and instead of dealing with it, it just never got resolved. And so when you had this really close friendship with somebody, just sort of over time, they're over there, and you're over here, right? Unresolved conflict can do it. Now, if those are the things that, that break it apart, what are some things that hold it together? It's not as complicated as, as, as it might seem, and yet the question isn't whether or not these things make sense. It's whether or not you're doing them. You guys understand love languages, right? I won't go through them all, but basically there's this concept that everybody receives love differently. Do you know how your kids need to be loved? And I mean each one individually, personally. 
Do you know what your spouse would call loving? Do you know how to connect to her heart? Encouragement. Do you know how many kids in my youth group never hear words like, I see so much potential in you. I think you could do this really cool thing in life because you've got this, this thing inside. They never hear that word. Do you know how many girls never hear from their father that like someday you're going to make a, a husband so happy? Right? How many kids go without that? And if you or that person who is encouraging, trust me, that is like super glue that will just stick that person to you. You want to know how to connect to your kids? Figure out how they receive love and encourage them. And there's one more, acceptance. We say this all the time to our youth leaders, that our kids will not choose their friends, they will choose acceptance. They will choose the first people at school who accept them. They will choose the first people at youth group who accept them. That will be their people group. That'll be the people that are putting stuff in the, in the funnel, right? If you accept your children, and that doesn't mean accept what they do, but who they are, do you like them? Do, you, do they know you like them? Okay, so let's evaluate real quick. If you're here and you're like, um, this sucks, right? Like, I don't like hearing these things. Um, I think I'm doing a pretty good job as a parent. I don't want to hear stuff like this. Don't skip this part. Because the most loving thing that you could do would be to figure out if you're doing this wrong so that you can start doing it right. Evaluate your faith. If we're going to start by evaluating this, you have to start with you. If you're here and you call yourself a Christian, are you the type of Christian who does Christian things or is it who you are? When you're coming, when you're going, when you're lying down, when you're getting up, is it written all over your house? And I don't mean the dumb poster, but you know what I mean? Is it obvious when somebody looks at you? And if that's not you, that is where we need to start, Period. It can't come out of your heart into anybody else's if it's not in there in the first place. Another place to evaluate is this, answer this question, who's next for you? Everybody in the room can answer that question. Who's next for you? Is it your kids? Is it your grandkids? Is it that kid down the street that you see every day? Or is it another mom that is 10 years behind you in life that you could pour into? Is it, is it a, a, an old man that is lonely on your block? Who's next in your life? And take a step toward them. And here's where I think we've always dropped the ball. We make taking a step toward them uh, about um, getting the gospel out of my mouth and into their head. Make a step toward them building a heart connection. Because the gospel's in you, right? That part should happen. Maybe you need to build or fix or strengthen a heart connection with somebody in your life. There may even be somebody here tonight that you need to make it right with. And I would encourage you not to leave the building because how vital, how important is it that if, if we're supposed to pass this thing on, the relationship is the single thing that we could do to screw it up. Well, if you've been screwing it up 
and you have a chance to make that right tonight, you should do that. And the only other thing is that there are going to be some people here who feel like they have failed at this. There are some people here who are like, okay, I don't know what to do now, <laughs> but um, that's not how I parented, or that's not how I treated my spouse, or that's not, like, that is, I wrecked it. And let me tell you this, it is never too late to take the first step towards reconciliation. If you weren't here last week, you should go back and listen to Pastor Tim's message. It's never too late to take that first step, maybe just a phone call, hey, I'm thinking about you. Maybe, maybe just a text message that says, can we get coffee sometime? It's never too late to make that first step. And then also, you need to hear this. There is a part here where we, we get to trust God, right? Like, I am surrounded by some of my favorite people came to know Jesus in spite of this. You can't break something that God can't fix. But for those of us that can, we should. And for all of us, there's somebody else who's next. We've got somebody else that we could be doing this with, right? And so, let's leave with this. My faith probably won't be passed on without a personal heart connection. So let's work on those. I'm going to pray over you real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that I, I, I love the fact that, like, in Malachi and Luke, you made it clear that, like, it's your, it's your desire for us to be connected, to turn toward each other. Not that we're doing this life shoulder to shoulder or side by side, but that we face one another and that our hearts are connected. I pray for your spirit to be at work in each of us, showing us which, which heart connections we need to work on and strengthen or fix. And for those of us that are dealing with some frustration or some some guilt here. We're going to trust you with things that we've messed up because you're a good God who does amazing things in spite of us. But would you help us reconcile? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.